Almost 10 years ago, I left a corporate career that just wasn't giving me the professional or personal life that I wanted. I was burnt out, disengaged, and feeling sick and tired of having no control over my schedule and feeling like there were always limits on what I could accomplish. So I started a consulting business. I had no idea what was in store for me, but by taking that leap, I created a new path to professional success significantly more income, and a personal life with so much flexibility, family time, and lots of travel. And I don't think I'll ever look back. So many of you have heard my story and asked me if you should jump into consulting. It's not a simple yes or no, so I've created a short quiz to help you figure out if consulting is right for you. If you're wondering if consulting might be the next right step for you, go ahead and take two minutes to take the quiz at theclaritywizard.com forward slash quiz and discover if now is the right time to move from employee to entrepreneur. Hello, and welcome to the Fork in the Road podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Guzman-Galloway, and on this season two, we're talking to experts who help us move past this fork in the road and into the next phase of our journey. Today, I'm speaking with two experts that believe in the power of advocating for ourselves, as I also do. For many of you, your current employer and career choice are still the best option, but it's not quite optimized for what you want. So in this episode, you're going to hear some powerful words on knowing yourself, your boundaries, challenging assumptions, and having the courage to ask for what you want. At the end of the day, you are in charge. I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Welcome, ladies. I'm really excited to talk to you today about such an important topic to my guests. But before we jump in to anything, I'd love to hear a little bit about you. Tell us who you are, tell us about your company, and maybe how the two of you got to know each other. Sounds good. Yeah, this is Kate. Kate Rescue Zoomer. It's a mouthful. I totally get that. And yes, we are so passionate about bringing more humanity into the workplace. And I think collectively, the two of us together have been doing that during our entire careers. I started out in the advertising industry. (laughs) I was recently telling someone that I became a coach back in 2003. And I was coaching this gentleman. And I was like, and you were probably like seven or eight at the time. He was like, no, I was three, (laughs) Uh, which really made me laugh. A coach. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Deb and I met together when I first started doing learning all about these coaching skills, I was thought, oh my God, this would make working together in an organization so much better. If we were reminded of these skills, we joke all the time and we say, It's not like they're rocket science because they're not listening, being curious. These are skills that we all know how to do, but we sort of forget in the posturing of our careers and wanting to advance that we sort of forget some of these skills and how these skills can make us more human is really what our book, Humanity Works Better, is all about. And Debbie and I met 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, somewhere along those lines. And she brought me and my previous partner into Mozilla to do this work, to sort of 
grow the leadership within that organization. And that work went on for seven years, I think, you know, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Debbie Cohen. I started my career because I know there's a lot of interest in career progression on this audience as a preschool teacher a long time ago. It was so lucky. I'm going to just call it luck that I was hired at Stanford for right out of college to work in their early childhood education program. So on campus, and you spent your first three quarters of the day working with young children and their families, and you spent the rest of the day, you know, with thoughtful peers and colleagues talking about what you did and why you did it that way. And I didn't even realize what a gift that was to have somebody help you deconstruct your behavior and your actions. And it really, in the intention of how do we serve our clients, which were the young children and their families best. And I just became really fascinated with human behavior and what happens to us as we grow as adults. And I started looking around and just seeing, you know, the magic and the potential of young children, sort of that light diminished as grownups were surrounding me. And I got real curious about why that is and did it have to be that way and how much environment plays a role of that and shush off went my career into administrative ranks, a chance to build an organization. Could you really be a mission, vision, values-based organization? And you can, but it's really, really hard and takes a lot of intention. And my career just sort of ignited in as the work-life movement became the forefront and sort of the marriage of working in employer-sponsored childcare and curious about how to build greater strength for the people inside organizations. So both of those things could win sort of ignited my career. And I ultimately found my way to work as the head of HR for Time Warner in New York and came back to San Francisco to be closer to our kids after they were married. That's where I ended up in a number of chief of people roles in high tech, entertainment, technology, and really everything from multinational like a Time Warner to working with Pierre Omidyar on the startup of First Look Media, which was eight people in the beginning. So can really share some thoughts and insights about that journey. And as Kate mentioned, our worlds collided because as I came into the HR space, I just believed there was so much more potential for that function to add high value through its people to its organization than what most companies experience and really wanted to fundamentally shift that space uh, to work better for companies and the people who are a part of them not diminishing people's light and how to keep it vibrant. So yeah, Kate's a great partner along the way. I'm glad that you pulled us back to that idea because that was a phrase that I latched onto in hearing you say, as we get older, really our light diminishes. And I want to start there because what this episode is really about is how do I figure out how to make this work for me now? Sometimes we get into this fork and and we are presented with options that are leaving this career and pivoting from where I am, but that's not always an option for many. And for some, they're happy with the corporation, the organization, or they love the team and they want to try to figure out how to make this work. And so if we start from the perspective that with time, our light is diminishing, Tell me why. Why is that happening? Why does our light diminish? This is Kate again. From my point of view, what happens is we start to think that we can't change the system. We start to think that we don't have any control, that I don't have any control, that I just have to do 
what they want to do. It's a little bit of that, you know, I'm giving my life to this organization and they are going to pay for my, you know, house and my food on my table and all of that kind of stuff. And of course, there is some truth to that. But part of where I think Deb and I sort of come from is we absolutely believe in the individual. One of the things that we write about in the book is that when you change, you actually can start to watch the people around you shift and change. And we don't normally come at, I think, a lot of problems or situations or even organizations with the idea in mind that I am that powerful. And I absolutely believe that you are. Now, it might not be that you're going to go and have that conversation with the CEO, but if you're in a meeting with your team and your team isn't behaving the way that you want them to, wow, watch what happens when you say, I'm sorry, we're going to take five minutes break. You know, people are, you know, super emotional right now. And I don't think we're solving the problem that we really need to be solving or stepping and having the courage. Our subtitle of the book is awareness choice and the courage to change. So it starts with you having awareness around what around you is not working and then choosing, yeah, I want to do something about that. The third step is actually the courage to sort of watch the impact that you create. You know, playing off of Kate's awareness piece, I think just thinking about myself, which is my best research item. For me, I think the biggest shift became around consciousness of myself. You know, I grew up in an era, I don't know what it's like for folks right now, but for me, there was a path. Like you went to school. I was part of the generation of women that actually got to go to college. You know, you went to college, but then you kind of got married and you had a job, but maybe not a career and some kids and your life just sort of took on a track because that's what the world told you you were supposed to do. And I think the diminished light, Kathy, for me, when I looked in the mirror and saw it in myself was that wasn't the life I wanted. That was the track I was on. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I had the courage to pause my life. And it actually came about, you know, through a medical issue that made me stop actually my life and, you know, lay in a hospital bed with a lot of time to think on your hands where I realized, wait a minute, how did I get here? And from here, is this what I want for the whole of my life, for the whole of me? And I think it's that pausing and asking those questions of yourself that we oftentimes don't do. We just default into life and we get caught up in what society tells us, structures and systems tell us, or, you know, that internal narrative. And I think is so powerful for us to pause and say, what matters to me? And am I living the full of my life in honor of those real values? And if I'm not, what do I have to have the courage to change and shift? What comes up for me, sort of talking about that, Deb, is I also think there are people in your organization that can diminish your light or try to. And I think that that is at another place where you really have to sort of pause, as Deb is saying, and look within yourself and say, am I okay with this or am I not okay with this? And those are big, scary questions. And I write about this in the book. There's a story that actually happened to me where I basically just said, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not going to be treated like this. And, and I 
absolutely leaned into HR and they were terrific about it. I've had a couple of those experiences where I really felt like the people above me didn't make it into the book. I wrote about it. We wrote a lot of words that didn't make it into the book. There was a story where I felt like my two bosses, my boss and my boss's bosses, were trying to encourage me to lie to a client. I was in the advertising industry. And I was like, I am not going to do that. I'm not. I have to sleep with myself every night and I have to feel good about doing this. I understand that sometimes you can feel like you have to do the job because you can't get another job, but I don't know that that's true for everyone. Certainly right now, there's a lot of jobs out there, but you know that's those choices that you have to make each and every one of us around, I'm not going to let these people and how they would do this drive how I feel about myself. And, and that's courageous work. Yeah. I can see myself in your comments, right? That there was a moment in my own career, right before I decided to start my consulting practice, that I also had those thoughts of, is it okay for the world and these people, this micro universe that I'm a part of to dictate where my life is going and what kind of a career I have and what type of projects I work on and what people I get to work with. But it's interesting that it takes a lot to get to the place where you reach awareness, right? Even Debbie, you're talking about going through these stages in your life until eventually you're like, hold on a second. Why is this happening? Why am I allowing this to happen to me? How do we expedite this process towards awareness and towards a willingness to make a choice? Because even once we get into awareness, then there's time and time and time that passes where we're waiting. What do I do about this? Should I do anything about this? Am I ready to do something about this before we're ready to go into that choice component? How do we expedite ourselves through that process faster? Love that question. You know, for me, what comes up is self-awareness, right? You have to start paying attention to yourself. And what I mean by that is, you know, something will happen and you will react to it. You might not visibly react to it, but there's something happening inside of you. And listening to that little voice in your head and being like, what am I reacting to? What don't I like about this? Start to notice, right? Is it them? Is it me? What about this? Doesn't sit right or does sit right? Like we love to focus on what doesn't, but sometimes being able to claim the things that you love and you're honored, already living your values. You're just not conscious of it necessarily. And so starting to tune in to yourself, to that internal narrative. I was walking the dog the other day and I live in San Francisco. We have red zones all over the place to keep it safe to like pull out of our driveway. And somebody had parked in the red zone, like full on, like almost overhanging into the garage, the driveway. And I said, Hey, you know, just checking in. Are you planning to park there for the day? The German consulate's right across the street. And the guy just sort of looked at me like, and I said, because if you're going to stay there all day, you're going to get towed. Like you're going to get a ticket and you're going to get towed. And he basically just dusted me off and like tromped across the street. There was something happening inside of me, right? That was triggering a value of mine and how I responded to it. I'm certainly in choice of, but the fact that it was triggering something about it. And there were many things, by the way, in that moment that were being triggered for me that also triggered all kinds of conversations with Kate later on that morning. But the 
the point was I was aware of it and being aware of it, let me stand in choice about how I was going to respond to it. And that, that sort of self-awareness using your life every day as a muscle to stay conscious of yourself and what matters. And are you living your life aligned to the things that matter? Or is there something rubbing there that doesn't quite feel right? Is the first thing, Kathy, that comes up for me. Yeah. And I would build to that to say, I've had many conversations with women who are in the fork. They're in the moment trying to decide if they want to leave or not. And a lot of the advice I provide is it's one thing to say in a blanket statement, this isn't working for me and I want to go. My question back to you is specifically what isn't working? Because sometimes we make a change and find our way back into the same place that we were before. And we so, call that hauling your baggage along with you. You just hmm. take it along because you make it about them and not about you. Right. And it doesn't serve us. And so I like this push that we've got to go beneath the surface of the situation. I was in a meeting with the CEO or the sweet suite, and they said something to me. What does that mean? How did that make me feel? What was it that was triggering me? I was working with my manager and she took a project away from me and gave me something different. How did that make me feel? What was triggering me? What's really underneath that? I'm working with a client and they're not reacting the way I intend them to. They're giving me negative feedback. What does that mean for me? What exactly is it that's bothering me about it? And so I really appreciate that sort of the structure to say, let's be really aware and clear about what are those things that are forcing us into this emotional reaction that we're having. And so how do I pivot from there, right? I'm aware, I get it. I know what's happening in my body. And now what do I do? Yeah, that's right. I love uh, the questions you were just asking, Kathy. That's exactly right. So it's the first step is awareness. And where Deb is pointing everybody is this idea of when a value is honored, that conjures a feeling within, within us. When a value is stepped on, that also conjures a very different kind of feeling within us, right? And we write about this in the book in terms of claiming value. And it, we write about this and we sort of say, I think it's one of the things that is, it's work that each of us has to do individually, right? And so it's partly why we wrote the book the way we did. It is so easy to kind of get into that victim place and say, it's them, they're the problem. And we don't buy that. now. That's not to say that some organizations and some people are not good people and they are the problem, but you have to look at where are you tolerating something that you shouldn't be tolerating? Where are you contributing to that problem by both your action or maybe your inaction? So the whole book and our model is focused around you. You are at the center of this model because we absolutely believe in you. I don't necessarily believe in the organization. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It depends on a lot of different things. But we, I mean, I am so passionate about you can actually start to say, hey, this did not feel good. Because I genuinely believe most people are not bad people. They're not. They're just unconscious. They just have no idea that they're having the impact And if you stay and have that difficult conversation with somebody, wow, both of you might learn and grow from that. Here's a funny little story about that, that, you know, listeners might relate to. So in one iteration of my career, our company had done a merger. So 
company we merged with, individual and I got sent in to do diversity inclusion training with Top of the House. And the training had been developed by my co-leader. And so we're going through the training top of the house. So C-suite is in the room with us, top of the house. Um, And I could just feel it. They were just phoning it in, right? They were all sitting there. They were participating, but it's about 2.30 in the afternoon and I can't take it anymore. And so finally I say, you know, I just need to put the elephant on the table here. Here's the scenario. Our top producing salesperson behaves in contradiction to everything we have just shared with you. What's the response of this team? And without flinching, the CFO looks at me and says, we would do nothing. And I said, then I just need to make really clear here that you're approaching this as a check the box exercise and that nothing is fundamentally gonna change for this group or for this organization. And I just want us to all be honest about that. And that was a moment of choice right? I could turn, I could have just shut down and been like, well, this is a waste of time. And, and, or I could say what needed to be said. Now, did anything change as a result of that? I don't know. But if I hadn't said anything, for sure, nothing was going to change. Did I lose my job? I didn't. Because that's also why I was in the room is to say some of those hard truths in that place. And so, you know, was a value stepped on? It was, but it wasn't a moment for you to be like, okay, you don't like that. I'm taking my toys and I'm going away because I hold that what that value was about was bigger than those people Mm -hmm. in that room and bigger than that moment. And so Mm -hmm. I chose to spark up there and, you know, and put a little fight in the conversation in hopes that maybe we could affect a bigger change somewhere down the road. But Mm -hmm. it was also very telling for me. That's a breadcrumb, right? As I go about my work in an organization, rarely is it one single moment. There's usually breadcrumbs that then is the whispers, as Oprah says, right? The whispers that are coming at me. Ready to ditch corporate and find fulfillment as your own boss? You may be considering or even dreaming of ditching that life-sucking job and doing your own thing as a consultant. But right now, it still feels like a huge leap and you aren't sure where to begin. You can keep considering and dreaming, but if you're not professionally or personally fulfilled, then what are you waiting for? It's time to tap into the expertise and experience you already have with confidence and create your own consulting business where you can control your career, your income, and your time. Introducing From Corporate to Consultant, the Consultant Launch Course. Go from your corporate job to establishing a company, getting clients, and planning for growth in just six weeks. If you want to start consulting, you need to know how to start a business. This course gives you the exact roadmap you need to build your consulting business. Yes, you can spend hours and hours searching and finding answers in the black hole of the internet, trying to make sense of it all, or just figuring it out as you go but I have been there and I know it's a waste of time and money. So I've taken my almost 10 years of experience in building a consultancy of over 500,000 in revenue and put it into this course. With an easy to follow approach, this course will give you a strong foundation for your business and set you up with a clear plan for how to move forward. So you can focus on doing your best consulting work and getting results like the expert that you are. It's time to stop feeling stuck and start feeling in charge of your path. 
The sooner you get started, the sooner you can leave your nine to five behind and start taking control of your schedule, your finances, your legacy, and your life. Visit theclaritywizard.com forward slash course to get started today. The two of you have said different things that are taking me to the same place. So Kate is talking about believing in me, believing in our audience. That's putting ownership on me, is saying at the end of the day, I believe in you because ultimately only you can affect long-term change in your own life and what makes you happy. And Debbie, you're talking about choice, which is one in the same, right? We've got to make a choice. Now you give an example of choosing to do something about it, but I can choose to not do anything about it, or I can choose to leave, or I can choose to, you know, change teams. There are many things I can choose to do. Talk to me about when courage comes into choice, because that's your third piece, right? So, okay, I, I have options. I can choose from these. Some of them require more courage than others. They all require some kind of courage, unless you're just going to allow this to continue. Uh, how does that fit in? How do I think about courage? I love it. So I definitely have a story that I think is going to be really relevant to your audience as well, which is, you know, a hundred years ago when I was in the advertising industry, I found out that there was a guy that they brought in from the client side to do the same job, but on a you know different side of business that I was working on. And I was literally teaching this guy how to do his job because he had no idea. And I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, I bet you anything that he is getting paid a shit ton more than I am. <laughs> Whoops, sorry. <laughs> and I, I just knew it because he came in from client side and the whole nine yards, whatever. Well, I had a friend of mine who had access to personnel files and actually confirmed that that was the case. He was getting paid twice the amount that I was. And I was teaching him how to do the job. Of and course you were. Of course you were. <laughs> That all sounds right. I'm, I'm tracking. <laughs> and that became my like, okay, what am I going to do about this? I could leave. I could just take all my toys and sort of run away. The truth of the matter is I really liked this organization and they had been very good to me, but I had found this inequity that I was really pissed about. I was really not happy about it. But I really started to look at it like any other relationship or friendship that I was having with anybody else. I need to have that conversation with the powers that be to say, help me understand this. Every evaluation that you have given me, every you know raise that you have given me or whatever has always been, wow, you're so great, Kate, you're so great, you're so great, terrific. And now I found this huge sort of inequity. But before jumping ship, I really felt like I needed to show up differently and ask them, what, what is this about, Right. This felt like I was homegrown. I had been with that organization for a longer period of time. And I also felt like this was ultimately, we're back to the topic of value. I needed to understand, did this organization really value me or was that lip service? And so that's what began very difficult conversations. And one of the things that came out of it was you think by challenging the status quo, by challenging the powers that be above you, that feels very vulnerable. It feels a bit scary. And it is. I don't mean to underestimate that it isn't. But what the weird thing that happened is I think they respected me more 
for having those conversations and taking a stand for my value. And that made them think very differently about me. And I got a $30,000 raise pretty much in the moment. And within a year, I was earning more than what this guy was earning, you know? So I had to approach it from my own core. What am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? And before doing that, I needed to understand, were they aware of this? And how did they want to deal with this? And boy, talk about courage, man. I mean, I, it just didn't get any more courageous in, in my book. There are a couple of things I just want to underscore about Kate's story as people begin to muster courage. One is, you know, Kate walked into that situation not blaming. She knew what she was holding, but it wasn't about making them wrong. It was about expanding a perspective, offering new information and insights that they might have overlooked, maybe assuming positive intent. I'm guessing just because I know Kate, right? But it was aiming to understand as opposed to operating from her assumptions. Hmm. And that is a art form for people as you get courageous. And what that does is it brings people along with you as opposed to pushing them back and and triggering their defensive. Because in effect, Kate was giving them feedback of of a sense. And what we know about feedback is it triggers one, two, or three kinds of reactions. One is a trigger that says, a truth trigger, you're wrong. You don't have the right information. So what happens in that situation is you just start battling around what the truth is and no one, nothing goes anywhere, right? One is a relational trigger of who's giving you that feedback. You don't know. We don't have a relationship. Why should I trust you? And so you're reacting to the person who's giving you that feedback. And the other is an identity trigger. There's something in it, in the feedback that causes you to question yourself. Hmm. And that causes you to protect into a protective stance. So being able to deliver the kind of message that Kate did in a way that brings people along with you as opposed to throwing them away from you because things don't get resolved when we're that far apart. You need to stay together and seek to understand. And you know, ultimately, the outcome of that, Kate is in choice about does she stay or does she go? They are in choice about do they respond and how they respond. So holding that as equal for both and knowing, well, geez, you know, if I hear something that I really just can't tolerate and I can't make a move in my life right now, I can't, right? I was doing a coaching session with a woman who at 45 decided never married, wanted kids and has twins. And she's in a situation in her work right now where she cannot jeopardize a stable income and healthcare for her kids. And so she's willing to trade off right now. The values that are important to her in her life have a different weight than maybe they did when she was on her own. And so I think, especially Kathy, for the great question you're asking in your audience, I always think of what your capacity is for change. And that kind of change that we're talking about, the courageous kind, it takes a certain kind of energy. And if you don't have the energy, it might not be the right time. If there are things that are greater at risk, the stability of my income and the health care for my children, then I might trade off something for now, but I'm conscious of my tolerance of it. And there will come a tipping point 
those are the employees I always am most concerned of. You know, when you look at the research, some high percentage of us have one foot out the door. When the next right opportunity comes, I'm going for that in hopes that it's going to be better than where I am today. Those people who need to make the change but don't have the capacity right now to do it, those are the ones that companies should be very, very concerned about. I feel like in this conversation, there's an unspoken element in that rightly so we are talking about ourselves and the ownership we have, the agency we have to make change and be in a place we feel good about and fits our values, as you've articulated. But there's another player in this, which is the employer, exactly where you were headed with how the employer manages the situation. And I don't want to assume that, as we shouldn't, that just taking ownership and having the hard conversations and being courageous will result in what we're looking for. For some of us, it will. For others, it won't. I wonder, what is your advice? Is it for me to test whether or not they're there or not? Do I have a sense for whether they will or won't even before I address it? Do I have biases that I need to challenge? How should I think about if this is an organization worth being courageous for and fighting for that change? Love that question. I was in a training one time and the facilitator said, if anybody's had a birthday this year, raise your hand. Okay, so everybody's hands went up, right? How many of you got a gift? So some percentage of hands go down. Of those who got a gift, how many got something you really wanted? And like almost no hands were left up, right? (laughs) And the message of the facilitator was, you are much more likely to get what you want if you ask for it than if you don't. And that's where I think it goes back to how you ask. When you ask, who you ask, what information does that person need in order to begin this conversation with you? You know, we we do a training with influential leaders, which are that mid-tier leaders trying to influence up and into the organization. And the big aha in there is, just having a conversation is not making a request, right? So there might be some stages to influencing a direction, which might be like some early stage conversations about information gathering, what might be happening? Are they aware of it? How does this fit into a roadmap? There might be stuff going on. You don't know. But if you come in all hot and blazing and you're insisting a thing happens, chances are it's not going to go the way that you're hoping. I sort of felt like, my answer to that question is, it depends, right? <laughs> right? It depends on all of those things that you're talking about. And I think that many of your listeners, you have a sense of the temperature of that organization. So lean into that. How is the company doing? You know, so on and so forth. And one of the things that was happening back then is that people were going and getting competitive bids and then really coming back and holding the organization hostage and saying, I'm going to leave here because I have this competitive bid. So you either match this or I'm out the door. And that did not, or back into one of our mindsets around meaningful connections. This organization had been really good to me and, and that did not feel right to me, but I did have to ask the question, this is what I'm seeing, these behaviors and this kind of compensation going on over here. And yet I'm getting these kinds of accolades and I don't have that kind of compensation over here. 
And I need to understand from your point of view, what's going on so I can make the decisions and the choices that I need to. One of the models that we train is called AIM. And AIM stands for Assumptions, Information, and Momentum. Because oftentimes we're over here with our own narrative about what those assumptions are. And we think they are the truth when they just happen to be your truth. And there's probably some more things to gather, some more information that you might need so that there is momentum forward. It might be, I changed my perspective. It might mean I changed jobs. It might mean a, but this idea of what assumptions are you making about this? Who do you need to get more information from in order to verify or get a different, uh, a different perspective so that you can be in choice? There is a process to that. And just like, don't write an email when you're mad and fire it off. This right. is like another one of those, you know, pause for a minute, check in with yourself, get real honest with yourself, you know, reach out to your mentors, find someone who else you can sort of talk to and bounce those ideas off. There's, you have a lot of information that's available to you if you start to look there. Yeah, that seems so important, particularly for those of us who've been in a same organization for an extended period of time, because we do have a lot of assumptions that we've inherited over the years that we assume we know, well, we know they're not going to promote. We know that they're going to hire outside. We know they're not going to give me a raise. We know, we know, we know. And we have to sort of pause and make sure that we're validating those assumptions are still true. And even if for the purpose of confirming them, which in and of itself is valuable, it's worth challenging that. And so I wonder, you know, we talked about a lot of really valuable action items, things that I can go off and do right away. What are three things that you would say, if you're going to do nothing, at the very least, start with these three things today. As soon as you finish listening to this podcast, start here. What would be that? advice? Based on this conversation today, I would say start getting clear on your values. What is important to you? Um, Another example, I could have gone and worked at, I was in New York at the time, any number of big advertising companies. I was at Ogilvy and Mather Advertising Agents in New York. I liked them. I liked the people that I worked with. And that was more important to me than me getting top dollar for what it was I was doing. Start doing your own homework around those values that are important to you right now, right? They might change as you get married or have kids or adopt kids or whatever, right? Those might change, but start to sort of pay attention to your values. And then I think there's another piece around what are your boundaries? right? Around those values? What are your boundaries around when people step on those values or don't honor those values or do, right? And then the third place is that what you're doing is really the theme of this podcast, which is you're really getting to know yourself. There is that deepening of who you are and what is important to you. Three potential areas to be paying attention to. He didn't repeat any of the ones I had written down. So sometimes like, she already said it. So here's a couple for me. One of the mindsets we write about in the book, and we train to this all the time, is outcome creating. What do you want to create for yourself that's different? And the thing about outcome creating is opposed to problem solving. 
is problem solving is you're just trying to stop the nonsense and get back to normal. But most of us are evolving as humans and as a talent and as a you know vibrant person. And so what outcome do you want? And it could be, you know, I'd like this outcome by next year to be in a place where I'm debt-free. Great, great. Then what's important to you about that? And what is the prioritize? There's the next thing, right? Get clear on what's important to you and take one step forward. I divorced after that 10 days in the hospital awakening, you know, and I was like $10,000 in debt and made $40,000 at the time. And I was like, I will never be in choice in my life if I'm not financially independent. Hmm. And that became a goal. I take all my credit cards on New Year's Eve, took them into the kitchen, froze them in a big block of ice and put it in the freezer so that I had no immediate access to anything other than cash. And a year later, I had dug myself out of debt, but it was hard work. I had to make the choice because the outcome on the other side of that, which to me signaled independence, a choice Mm -hmm. that I really needed to find for myself was tied to my own financial independence. So outcome creating, create priorities then around your life and just take the first steps. One of the big lessons I learned from Kate when we were writing the book, you can't achieve the outcome all in one step. There are progress. And so set milestones for yourself that make it feel like I'm making progress so that you feel in control of what's happening to you. Even if it's, you know, I'm going to speak up more in a meeting because I want people to hear my ideas and tell your buddy who's in that meeting with you that I'm going to do that. So, you know, prompt me if I don't have the courage to say it because I need Mm. that. Yeah. I love a lot of what we talked about here where I think it boils down for me is, is that I'm in the driver's seat at the end of the day, I'm in control and I might feel like I'm in a prison, uh, But if I am in a prison, it's of my own making and only I have the key to get out of that prison. And this conversation has given me so many tools to think about how to be more aware, how to make choices, how to be courageous, how really to reflect and and push back and challenge. And I love that you've given us so much value. I would love to hear, again, the name of your book and where I can find it. And then how does somebody in my audience engage with the two of you if they wanted to work closely with you? So you can find the book at Barnes and Noble. It's at amazon.com, of course. And the book is called Humanity Works Better, Five Practices to Lead with Awareness, Choice, and the Courage to Change. So it's called Humanity Works Better. Our website is humanityworks.com. And there you can find a bunch of other podcasts. And we've been in Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. And those articles are all sort of posted on there. And if you absolutely want to get in contact with us, of course, there's a contact page and you can do that. In addition to the resources that are up there, we offer trainings. We do a lot of executive coaching, individual coaching, tandem coaching with founders and CEOs or uh, group coachings when there's dynamic inside the team that's challenging. And those hard, messy conversations need to come to front so that the humanity of everybody present can live and be fulfilled. And we also offer a series of programs. So Resilient Manager is targeted for companies who have managers that they want to operate from a more human-centered place. Influential Leader, which is that VP director level. Um, And then we do training for the top of the house for the C-suite. And we also have an online 
uh, tool that's about ready to come on that uh, can give you all the practices and mindsets that are in the book in a blended learning kind of approach. So lots of resources, trainings, and conversations to be had. Fantastic. I love everything that you shared today. It's added a lot of value to me and I'm sure my audience as well. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kathy.